It's episode 35 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Minor League Extra, your monthly deep dive into the farm system of the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm Ryan Topp, and I'm joined today, as always, by Brad Ford and, as I used to be, by J.P. Breen. How's it going, guys? So what, you have to bring in like the old pros to show Brad how it's done? I see how it is. <laughs> well, we wanted to have three people to do top ten lists, so we we needed a third person. And who better than, than Breen to come back and do a, a top ten list? I feel so intimidated. I had to get my good socks on. And you're wearing that collar up, too. That was good. It was, I was uh, very pleased to hear that the uh, intro is pretty much the exact same. <laughs> why, why mess with the success, Breen? No, I felt like putting on, a, putting on an old sweatshirt. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, comfy. Exactly. So, well, you're really going to like the next part of this, then, because uh, it's uh, not really changed much at all, either. This podcast is a thank you for your continued support. We appreciate that there are lots of other things you can do with your money, and we're grateful that you have chosen to help us in our efforts to bring the podcast to you. If you're listening to this, you already know you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on iTunes. This podcast will heavily focus on your questions, and the easiest way to submit those for this podcast is to do so through our Patreon page. But you can also send them through our email at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, Follow us on Twitter, and you'll find that information all on our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. All right, so we spent over an hour and a half on our top 10 talks, which means that... Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, we've really really run it here. So uh, we're going to switch over, because I did want to talk a little bit about the Dynasty stuff, because I want to get that on the regular pod as well for us. So... You do the, the Tino podcast, uh, There's No Off Season, and that focuses on Dynasty Baseball, which is a growing aspect of it. And I've been playing for a few years now in a pretty serious 15-team uh, league with 50-man rosters, 20 minor leaguers. Give us a little bit of a feel. Why why should people play Dynasty Baseball? Just in terms of, like, why do I like it? Yeah, like, make make the case for it. I think it lends to... There are two things that I like most about fantasy fantasy sports, and it's what the vast majority of people who play fantasy sports like. Drafting and trading. And that has way more... There are way more drafts, and there are way more trades that happen in, in Dynasty Baseball. It's great for people who like following the minor leagues a little bit more and want to kind of invest in that uh, in terms of their, uh, you know, their time and energy never know that thrill of scrolling through minor leagues leaderboards <laughs> finding somebody that hits no it's it's a good opportunity because there are, are there are a lot of us right that we're always like oh i like this player i like that player i value this player i don't really like that player as much i fancy myself as a as a gm this is what i would do and it gives you outside of maybe ootp the uh <laughs> the ability to do that at a higher level the other thing that i really like about dynasty is much more than a re like if you get in a good redraft league and one that like has the same number of people they're all in it like you can get pretty good activity but like dynasty even if your team's bad there's a reason to pay attention mm-hmm. and it just it's a it's an avenue in which you can first of all create you can make friends with people when you play even like random people because you talk to them to trade and you follow through and you see them in the draft every single year and you you kind of keep going for it i know for the tino league that we have for 2.0 we've got a discord set up in which people just like shoot the shit all the time while they're going going around and it's it's a nice little community that you can build 
but there is something about baseball that really invests people over a long period of time. And it invests people who want to follow individual players for a long period of time. And I think the dynasty really lends itself to that. I think the other thing about dynasty is the reward of your, you get to feel like a, a super intelligent asshole when you are the one who guesses right on the guy and see it pay off to have a super team. Oh, when I picked up Will Smith for nothing. I, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I haven't played dynasty baseball cause no one will invite me. No one wants to play with Brad and it hurts, but it's fine guys. I got the hint. I got the message, whatever, but I play dynasty football and I know the same reward as when you get that return and the, the payout that comes for guessing on the guy who is a fringe roster player or a fringe. He, oh, he put it a plus, but so far none of the prospects are projecting him to do anything. And then you get him and he's your cornerstone third baseman. It just is a rewarding feeling to have that, that payout or that payout in a fantasy way. And it had that year long and a few years long investment that ends up paying dividends for you in a championship. Well, and I will say that there is, I don't know how many people care about this, but I have been thinking a lot more about it just because I've been devoting a lot more of my attention to, to dynasty as I've been, kind of tasked with doing the dynasty stuff over at BP and writing dynasty columns and things is I do think it actually trains a lot more. I don't know if trains is the right word. It, it predisposes a lot, many more baseball fans to, to kind of think about like all means necessary to kind of cut player value. I don't know. It's like people don't, it's like, what can I do? How can I acquire people and not pay for it? How can I do all of these things and not actually the best move is the, is the move that has the highest upside for the least amount of cost. I have seen there's a huge overlap amongst people who play dynasty that kind of follow regular baseball and they're like, Oh, so-and-so got paid too much or, Oh, that's a great deal because you didn't have to invest much in it. Um, and I do think it kind of predisposes, baseball fans to think a little bit more like or to put themselves in the shoes of rationalizing manipulative behavior from baseball executives i suppose so it makes you pro owner and in some ways not, i don't know if like pro owner is right but pro gm and pro and and what the gms are there to do is to build the most competitive team possible without spending anything well, except the, the difference in this case is that you're not actually paying guys contracts. I've, I've never seen a are there dynasty leagues that do that. I'm sure there are. But like, well, there are don't go to that level where you're actually having. No, to pay. but no, but there is a there is a cognitive leap between the monetary feeling of it and this entire thing about making trades. And what I need to do is make sure that I'm not overpaying. Right. What do you do in every single case? to maximize your potential profit margin. And that profit might be statistics in terms of fantasy. Um, it might be in terms of control years, in terms of your prospects. It might be in terms of uh, maximizing your rosters. But it does, I think, tend to cause us, and I've, I've put myself in that because I play a lot. I don't really play redrafts very much anymore. To think about players and, and prospects as just assets, and not really think about them as, you know, people. And uh, we see that a lot, I think, in in fantasy football, right? I mean, like oh, football God. players have been football players a lot on Twitter have been pretty vocal about the fact that like people treat them as if they're not individuals and like what do you do for my fantasy team? 
and that has been pretty toxic for them. I think Arian Foster was one of like the biggest people who kind of came out and said that, especially when he was injured. But it's been something that we see in the language a lot when it comes to fantasy questions that come through BP too. It's like, oh, so-and-so is a good asset or whatever. And I was like, they are, they are a person. You can say that they are a player and you roster them. You don't own them. There's there's a language thing that makes me feel uncomfortable once in a while, which, again, people might not care about. But And actually, your co-host on that, Mark Berry, has made a point to get away from using language like that, right? Or am I, am I mistaking him with somebody else? Well, it's been kind of a BP push in general. I think Craig has really tried to do it. Mark has, has wanted to do it as well. I think for the editing side, for fantasy at least, I usually try to edit every single time somebody puts in you know you should own so and so i usually put roster you should roster so and so and it's just little things like that but i don't know dehumanizing language just make me feel a little uncomfortable actually i just noticed that you say that and they have switched that language out on the espn fantasy focus they've switched it to roster instead of own yeah i it it never occurred to me until now but they do say roster now and I, i thinking about it i don't think they even say own anymore so anyway could you give us some strategy tips for uh what what are like your core principles for winning at dynasty the number one thing for me is is recognizing that you don't have to win every trade or like winning is a very dynamic idea and sometimes what that means is you give up more than you quote unquote should in a vacuum because it's actually better for your current team or it's better for your long-term team I think Tom Trudeau has been somebody who's been extremely good at that in, in industry leagues. And he has made some just, just outlandish trades where it's like, you know, he'll go pick up, I'll just use Christian Yelich for, for a term, and like trade like six top 100 prospects for him. And you're like, what are you doing? But then at the same time, you look at his roster and he's like, I don't really care about those top hundred prospects. I've got plenty of prospects. I need this outfielder that I'm going to stick into my roster for the next seven years. And those people don't really matter to me at the moment. Thinking about that. Now I don't like playing that way as much. I've, I very much try to isolate players who, who I like. And I try to, I try to roster players that, I really believe in. And so there are a lot of people who say like, who is going to be the best trade piece, right? Like I mentioned it with, with Ethan small. Like, so I try to keep that. I, I realize that not everybody plays in the same way that I do, but I don't acquire people because I think they're going to be good trade chips. If I don't believe in them, that I wouldn't want them on my team over a long period of time. I don't really want them. Okay. So So it's not like pump and dump. That's not a part of your game. That's not mine, but it can be very successful. And Tom is wonderful at it. And okay. he's like just straight up dominated the industry leagues that I've been in for the past two or three years, if not a little bit longer. So that's one of the big things that I that I would say. And I would also say, make sure that you are following multiple strains of information. Because what ends up happening is there are so many dynasty people that put out lists now and almost all of them kind of just say the exact same thing the important thing is to kind of find where the anomalies are find out which individuals you like to listen to but just make sure it's more than one and make sure that you're following and make sure that you value other people's opinions 
even if they don't jive with your own. Do you want to talk about my spreadsheet? Because I sent you my spreadsheet the last couple of years, right? Your spreadsheet's overwhelming. You can talk about your spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I find all the information that I can, and I just stick like these lists on a on a spreadsheet. And then for my first year player draft, I basically try to have as much information as I possibly can, and I eliminate the players that are uh, that are taken. And I try to get like this is a guy who's kind of consistently high and then as i go through the draft as because one of the nice things about these drafts first year player drafts in dynasty is they tend to be slow slow drafts so they tend to take place over mine goes a couple of weeks generally in the first couple of weeks of march i don't know i know our the league that we co-manage in is a slow draft also do you play in any that aren't slow drafts no it seems to be pretty much the standard yeah and so you have plenty of time to go through and cross off guys as you go and then when guys start sticking out like, hey, this guy is like 10 spots above anybody else, you could sort of see it. And it starts to pop and you go, OK, I really hope this guy falls, you know, three more picks to make it to me. And I do. I collect information from basically any source that I think has put in a reasonable amount of time and effort into into doing this. People that are somewhat at least known in the industry and have some sort of a background. And I don't just look at dynasty lists either. I'll look at the top prospect list too even though just because a guy is a top prospect like a top 100 prospect doesn't necessarily mean they're a top 100 dynasty prospect because those things are different yes but when you're talking about trying to draft in a 150 person first year player draft and you're drafting in the sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth round of the thing you could sometimes just throw a dart and say well, this guy's at the back of the list for a reason because they think he's going to be a big leaguer. They think he's going to make it to the big leagues. And sometimes there's just value in having a big leaguer, you know? Yeah. So, well, and I would say the one other big piece of advice that I would say is fantasy is not the same thing as real life, not just in terms of the prospects that you're talking about, but in terms of you do not have time to wait to find out if samples are real. You like you do not have time to wait to see if like this breakout is real to see if the strikeout rate stabilizes to see you do not have time by the time it does they are gone and sometimes you're just going to have to take a shot it's understanding that and it's also understanding when to trade for somebody right because there's a difference between taking a random shot on somebody on the waiver wire because they might break out and you're going to see if that happens but you'd like to have him on your roster if he does versus after Aristides Aquino's monster month and a half or Randy Rosarena's monster month and a half are you going to pay for what that would cost in terms of prospects there might be some people who are but as far as me, I would be very, very happy. And in fact, I did draft a Rosarena prior to last year. And so I'm very happy to have him on my roster in that league. And I was just willing to take a punt on him because he was interesting. Are you uh, now looking to move him? No. Oh, you're, you're not potentially going to try to sell high on him? No, I would much rather find out if it's real. Okay. Because if, because if it is real, I would like to have him on my team. I mean, I get that. I, I was just wondering if you thought maybe he had that you could get such a package back for him at this point because of all the helium on him based on what he did in the postseason. I was just curious to see if that was. A thing. I mean, maybe, but at the same time, if he, but if it's real, then his value is even higher. Okay. Um, and you did. Right? Yeah. You did just recently write an article about your tips for drafting. Could you just give kind of a little short synopsis of, some things that are important for to think when you're doing a first year player draft. 
Yeah, so the first-year player draft is your supplemental draft that happens in between your seasons, right? It's not your startup draft. It's usually anywhere between five and ten rounds. It makes up for the people that you aren't allowed to keep. And it's basically everybody that just came in in that year's draft, plus J2 signings, plus anyone who was dropped or not rostered. And it could be people coming in from Japan, some people coming in from the KBO, people who defected from Cuba. Yeah, where do you think Kunming Song is going to end up going in most dynasty formats i honestly do not know i haven't looked at it enough to, to okay. have a solid opinion on that yet seems like to me like i think he's gonna fit kind of around five depending on the league depending on the format but i think yeah I mean, I, pretty early i defer to you on that for for now i haven't looked at it enough oscar luis colas again <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Got approved, <laughs> and and Otani's somebody that uh, maybe isn't as exciting as everybody was hoping. A, a he's still a ago. really damn good hitter. He, I mean, he, he's very decent, solid hitter. But he also has been a good pitcher. He just his arm falls off every time he gets to do it. The one thing about fantasy is they need to have an arm. Yeah, <laughs> for the pitchers. Otherwise, Hunter Harvey would be flipping phenomenal <laughs> and there's the hunter harvey mention <laughs> yeah hunter harvey i mean i've had hunter harvey on so many teams but i would say so the biggest thing that i would say is do not worry about just getting solid big leaguers because they're always available on the waiver wire your first round should be about pure upside nothing different is what it comes down to doesn't it doesn't matter if you're talking about j2 guys doesn't matter if you're talking about recent draftees uh it should be pure upside because looking over kind of the last 10 years or so of supplemental picks in the first round, it's like, it's very, very rare that outside of like an Otani or Jose Abreu or somebody coming like that in um, where it's just kind of obvious what's happening. And this is a thing you really believe too. I, I want to tell a story about this real quick because you gave me the best piece of advice that I've gotten when doing the, the draft so far it was my first first year player draft and I had uh, the seventh overall pick and I had a choice between uh, Jared Kelnick and uh, Nate Lowe were my two guys that I had on the board at that point. And you said go for Kelnick because the upside is just so much greater. You you need to go for that upside in the first round. And I did. And I am quite happy with that pick. Yeah, though, I think Nate Lowe has obviously got a second lease on life going to Texas. But at the same time, right, you have so few opportunities to build a minor league roster. You have to think about it a lot like you are a big league team in your in the MLB draft, right? Like how quickly were the Pirates laughed out, laughed out of the, the entire, I don't know, like I don't, what do they have it in? Like a call, they don't have it in a Coliseum, just like a flipping studio. Yeah. But the the pirates were laughed out of the room when they took Tony Sanchez and they're like, well, but he's like, we think his, his floor is he's like a solid backup catcher. And everyone's like, you have the third pick. What are you doing? <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up uh, another embarrassing pirates thing, which I think was maybe the next year when they took Daniel Moscos and we're like, well, we think he could be a good left-handed reliever. <laughs> it's a fourth pick. <laughs> and it's like, and now pretty much every organization across the board, aside from a few that are just like, we're going to try to play around with our bonus pools. Um, pretty much everyone is like in your first round, you take the highest ceiling available. No questions. Like that is what you take because you don't have very many opportunities to get players into your, your draft. So that's, that's the biggest thing that I would say is my number one takeaway. And number two is, I mean, I, this is just something I do is I target quad a guys low in a supplemental draft 
Oh yeah, you mentioned that. I I thought that was interesting because I hadn't heard that before, but that had not been discussed. So. Yeah, I mean, because last year there were two big ones that I targeted, but I ended up taking three. Uh, Kristen Javier ended up working out just fine. Andy Young, who's with uh, the Diamondbacks, big, big numbers in, in the minors, a little bit like a uh, kind of a Ty France situation. But uh, Andy Young got a little bit of a shot, didn't work out, but still th- thought it was a worthwhile pick. And then the other one is Jared Walsh. And Jared Walsh ended up getting a, getting an opportunity as well. But those, I mean, you're talking about, after the 60th pick or something in a supplemental draft, like just take a punt on those guys because they're going to be better off than like uh, Jed Jerko, like who's fine, but like is going to be a part-time guy for a year. And then you don't even know if he's going to be playing after that again, available on the waiver wire. He was the best player on the team. JP. It's true. It is true. And guess what? He was available on the waiver wire. <laughs> he's a, he's available on the waiver wire now, guys. Well, the free agent wire, I guess. And so that's the important thing to remember about the supplemental drafts is big leaguers are always going to be available on, on the waiver wire. What are not going to be available are those high upside minor leaguers. They will never be available on the waiver wire. All right. Good, good, good. Uh, so a couple quick questions and then we're going to do the game and we're going to get out of here. So actually one, this isn't even a question. This is just comment. Hey, Brad, Anthony Martin would like to thank us for the, having the question answered last week. So he wants to give us a shout out and say, thank you for that. So hey, just Anthony, make your night there. Supporting the pod. We truly appreciate it. We joke about wanting money, but actually we like the support is so nice and we really appreciate you guys putting into the pod. It means a whole lot to all of us. And uh, we're happy you appreciate our feedback and we appreciate the questions more than you know, because your questions are our most interesting content. So whenever you got one, submit it. All right. And Adam Post, who asks a lot of questions and they're always good. Uh, And he has one specifically for JP, because we've both answered this on this podcast before quite a bit, Brad. So uh, Adam Post wants to know, what does JP think of minor league realignment? What's good, what's bad, what still needs to be decided yet to determine whether or not it's overall worth it or not. I know what you generally think of this because you've talked about it a lot on the Tino pod, but you want to just give your kind of short version of this? (laughs) Yeah, it's shit. (laughs) (laughs) That is the content that I have missed. Yes. (laughs) It's basically minor league teams not wanting to pay and outsourcing to leagues in which they don't have to pay anymore. I mean, the first thing that should give you a clue that these organizations were not actually serious about cutting their minor leagues is they immediately put out deals for independent and they're like the dream leagues or whatever the hell they were going to call them, which are basically just affiliates, but they don't have to pay them as much. And not that they were like paying anybody more, but they're like basically outsourcing their, their, their minor league development. Right. And so it's never been about, focusing more on the guys who have an ability to make it. It's just not wanting to pay for as many because as soon as they did it, they still tried to cast a wide net on leagues outside. So it's just more of the same. It's trying to cut costs in many ways as possible, but make sure that you still have uh, accessibility to talent. Yeah. I think that's pretty much what we've said as well. So, all right, let's get on to the game here because this is fun. And uh, you know this because you're actually the person who turned me on to this podcast in the first place. The Football Ramble podcast, Luke's Game. Uh, we played it for the first time on the regular podcast this last week. And uh, you guys will be hearing this for the regular podcast as well. So because we're not going to be doing a regular podcast this week since uh, it's Christmas this week. So 
we're taking the weekend off, but we will post this so people can hear it. All right, so you know how this works, JP. Uh, I'm going to give you a player and I'm gonna give you a number of teams and we're gonna alternate back and forth who gets the first bid. Remember that you need to name as many teams as you can without having any wrong. If you give me a wrong answer, you are instantly done. So we are gonna start, and this is a little bit different from last Sunday because uh, there's not necessarily a Brewer connection here. There, there are some Brewer connections, but not everybody has a Brewer connection here. So we're gonna start with JP since he is the guest. And these are mostly from like your guys' childhood is what I went for here. Cause I think you guys are around the same age. Jesus. So this is like, this is, you guys were around, you were, you were following baseball when these guys had their careers, but they're, they're more from your childhood, more from my teenage, you know, early adulthood. Yeah. Good. If it's, if it's not like college football, I'm not going to be hot on this. All right. So JP, how many teams of the six, Clubs that Jeffrey Hammonds played for, can you name? Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I don't know, two? <laughs> we have two. We have a bit of two for Jeffrey Hammonds. And again, it is six six clubs that he played for. Brad, can you go three? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I thought this was going to be a little bit easier at least. Okay. If, if you're not able to go three, then uh, JP, go ahead with your two. Uh, well... I would like to start out with the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> well, he didn't start out with the Milwaukee Brewers, but yeah, you could you could go there. He, he, that was one of his. And then, I mean, the other one will just be who he came from, be Colorado. You mean where he started his career? No, where he was before he came to Mil- when oh, he, okay. before he came to Milwaukee. Yep. Okay. I don't. Yep. I don't. I have zero idea where he started his career. Yeah. No, that's correct. Oh, I do because. As you might be able to see back there, I have a, a Camden Yards. He was uh, on the he was the young big time prospect on those Orioles teams in the late nineties, which is where he started off. Oh crap! I actually knew that. I should have gone three. Damn it! Well, yep. I didn't know until you reminded me of it. So, so he, he played for that done. quite a while at uh, Baltimore. He then moved on to Cincinnati. Uh, he signed as a free agent for Colorado. Signed as a free agent to the Brewers. Was traded to San Francisco and ended his career with the Nats. What year did he end his career? Two thousand five. If I had to guess a third team, I think I would have like confused him with Jeremy Burnett's and said the Mets. <laughs> we did Jeremy Burnett's this last weekend. You wouldn't know that because you don't listen to the podcast, but he was that one of the guys true. that we did. So my uh, strategy was just always guess Montreal. <laughs> Solid. Solid. <laughs> well, uh, Brad, you uh, have the next one here, and it is Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd, who has seven teams. Current MLB uh, network analyst, Cliff Floyd. Uh, four. You can go yeah. four. Four for Cliff Floyd. Okay. Yeah, man. That is that is you. That, that is, is <laughs> that is absolutely all you. All right, okay. Brad. Now, nice and slow. You went a little fast last time. So uh, take them one at a time. Montreal is correct. Look yeah, at that. that. That, first of all, was BS. <laughs> but keep going. Cleveland. Cleveland. For Cliff Floyd, huh? Mm-hmm. Cleveland, Cleveland, Wait, Cleveland. Is that wrong? Uh, Actually, I'm confusing him with another You player. are incorrect. Yeah, Cliff Floyd did not play for Cleveland at all. Play, he played for the Marlins. He definitely did. He was on the uh, the Marlins World Championship team in 2007. Or 1997, sorry. I had three. I had Montreal, I had the Marlins, and I had the Mets. I didn't have any more than that. 
Yep, those were those were three big ones for him. He he started with Montreal, went to Florida for a while, uh, went back to Montreal briefly, spent a season in Boston, uh, not a successful one though. He was hurt. It looks like no. It was just part of a season in 2002. He was there. Uh, then he moved on to the Mets for four seasons. He uh, then spent a 2007 with the Chicago Cubs. Moved on to Tampa Bay in 2008, and was sure. part of was part of their resurgence. Sure. Good. And then ended his career with the Padres. Man, uh, was I confident when you said Cliff Floyd? You meant Cliff Lee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. what a man! What a man! Uh, all right. Well. So that leaves us in a in a bit of a of a weird position here uh, with JP up two nothing over Brad. So we uh, well continuing on, we have now another guy, and that would be Ray King. Ray King, and he has six clubs. Six clubs. I believe you guys are familiar with the works of Ray King. My lord. And yeah, this is to you, JP, for the first bid. Yeah, I know. Three. You can do three. Allegedly. Three. All right. Brad, can you go four for Ray King? Yeah. Brad can go four for Ray King. Uh, can you go five, JP? I mean, I can name five teams. <laughs> <laughs> but are you gonna you gonna make Brad name his four? Yeah. All right, Brad, go ahead and name your four. Uh, Milwaukee, obviously. Milwaukee. I yep. believe he came to Milwaukee the second time from Washington. That would be correct, yes. Uh he played for the Cubs. He did it that, yes. That's where he began his career. And the Cardinals. And the Cardinals, which is the one you should really remember because the uh, the great incident, the Albert Pujols incident in uh, the end of the 2007 season, it was Ray King that knew that uh, they had put the hit sign on Prince Fielder because oh, he... Yeah. yeah, Ray King was the one who knew it because he knew the hit sign from his time with the Cardinals. So uh, Ray King began his career with the Cubs, was with the Brewers for quite a while, uh, with for three seasons, moved on to Atlanta for a season in 2003, was with the Cardinals for a couple of seasons, moved on to Colorado, and then did a little uh, Washington to Milwaukee to Washington run to end out his career. So, Brad, you are on the board now, and it is two to one to JP. And the next one with uh, Brad having the first option here is four teams. And that is Jason worth Jason worth four teams Two. you can do two. Okay. JP, are you going to make him uh, name his two or are you going to go for three? I'll do three. Okay. Brad, he's leaving you the door open to potentially go for four. You want it? I'm pretty confident I can name three, but I don't think I can name four. Okay, so then that's JP. Uh, go ahead and name your three. Well, I can name two, so that's good. The the Phillies. The Phillies is correct. The Washington Nationals. That is also correct. So can I name my fantasy team? <laughs> you you cannot, JP. You cannot. Years ago, so I actually do not know, um, but I will take a shot, and I will say the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros is not correct. That was my I know. shot for you. Actually, I was I was gonna say like it just it just had so much freaking Josh Reddick vibes. <laughs> it kind of does. Uh, so he began his career with Toronto for a couple seasons, two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, sure great yeah he was he was kind of the original um 
I don't know, kind of like Max Muncy or uh, Justin Turner before there was that. Like he sort of emerged later on. He he had his breakout as a uh, like 28 year old with Philadelphia in 2007. Um, but sorry, before that, he actually went to the Dodgers. So he went from Toronto to the Dodgers. I do remember him as a Dodger. Just the Phillies and the National. And then the Phillies for the four seasons and then the Nationals for uh, for the remainder of his career. I uh, mostly remember him as being the guy who my friend would go out to party with because my friend was for a little bit married to the college roommate of Ryan Z- or Jordan Zimmerman. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Because he's from Wausau, oh, right? right? It's like, yeah, you just show up to a bar and Jason Worth buys you all the drinks and then you go home and the next day you got a hangover. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. So we have a, a, a tie two to two game, which is exactly what I was hoping for in this situation because I have a, a very fun one for you for the last one. And it's 14 teams. 14 teams. Do you know who this is? So Edwin that, Jackson. It is Edwin Jackson. It is Edwin Jackson. So <laughs> I, I gotta like write this out. Sorry. <laughs> so 14 teams for Edwin Jackson. Uh, JP, it's your honor. Where do you want to start the bidding here? Five. JP is gonna bid five. Brad, you're going six, right? Yeah, I got I got six. JP JP is gonna go seven. Brad, can you go eight? Ten. Ooh, a jump bid. A jump bid to Brad for 10. JP, you going to go 11? Sure. Oh, this is good. This okay, is the good content. The go for it. <laughs> I mean, I figure I got a 50-50 shot on whatever team I name. So, like, I'll give it a go. Like a 30-60 or 33-66 shot, right? Yeah, 14 out of 30. Yeah. And you kind of, you can, you can eliminate a few teams, I think, from that list. Okay, so, JP, you're going to go with 11, right? That was the, the final bit here? Oh, I don't, yeah, I wrote down three names, but we'll just wing it. Oh, man, I have <laughs> at least eight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, JP, nice and slow, because I'm going to have to look at a lot of things here. Well, that's fine, I have to go. I have to like figure it out myself. Uh, so, Google it. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm not. I was, I was going to go all the way up to 14. If you bid me up there just for shits. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the nationals, the nationals is correct. The Cubs, uh, the Cubs is correct. Yes. You send that free agent contract with the Cubs. Pretty sure. Oakland. Oakland is correct. How many do I got out of my 11? That was three. That was three. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. I'm writing them down here as we go. Yeah. Now we're on the up and up. Let's go. Detroit. Detroit is correct. Okay. I was going to say that was like one of the ones I was like most positive in. Yep. Uh, the, Met, the Mets. The New York Metropolitans. I can picture him in the jersey. You can picture him in every jersey. <laughs> Only 50% of the jerseys, Brad. <laughs> Am I not right? Well, if you can picture him in a Mets jersey, it's because you uh, imagined it in your dreams because he was not a New York Met. All right. Can I get some of the teams? So the Angels, oh. right? Uh, the Angels is not correct. <laughs> You're All right. Then I got nothing. The D-backs. The D-backs? Okay, sure. And you're missing the White Sox. The White yeah, Sox the is White... correct. Yeah, uh, White Sox are a good one. 
Arizona is correct. Yes. Yeah. I keep wanting to say he was a Ray, but I, that's wrong. No, it was, he was a Ray for quite a while. Actually, he was a Ray for, for three years. It was the second team he was with. I was saving, I was saving the Rays and for my, the Rays and the White Sox for my final one. Cause I was like the most confident in those. Cause I, I, what I really wanted to do was get my guesses in the middle of it so I could bring it home and feel confident in my finals. He was a Royal, wasn't he? Yes. Like a hot minute. Yes. He was not a Royal. No. No Kansas City. You're missing. He was on that uh, that St. Louis team. Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go through this here. So he yeah, began yeah. his career with the Dodgers as a 19 year old. He came up as a 19 year old. He was a top prospect who didn't ever quite manage to make it until very close to the end with Tampa. He's kind of okay towards the end with Tampa. Became kind of an inning eater, but never really that good. Had a good year with uh, Detroit when he was 25. Moved on to Arizona, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, began 2011 with the White Sox, was traded over to the Cardinals. So he was on that Cardinals team that uh, ended up beating the Brewers in the NLCS in 2011. I remember I watching him play. Remember I remember seeing the Brewers just absolutely bomb him. I think Casey McGee hit two or three home runs off of him at a game yeah, at right. Miller Park. Casey McGee is a baseball god. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was then on the Nationals cubs when he signed that contract remember that contract that he signed with the cubs was like when they were trying to rebuild but they also wanted to like see if they could turn him into something and he was just absolutely dreadful for them just dreadful right. to the point where they had to let him go and uh he then moved on to atlanta after that uh he did a stint in miami and the padres because of course he did uh baltimore washington uh oakland which jp did have that one and then ended his career in Toronto and went back to Detroit. He actually didn't do multiple stints at teams as much as you would think. I think his only double stint was Detroit. I thought, like, I think around when the White Sox wanted him, I think they traded, or, or no, the White Sox got him after he was trash. But right before the, the season before the Cubs got him, I wanted the Brewers to trade for him so badly. Well, the Brewers uh, signed him to a minor league deal once. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that wouldn't count for this. I that know. was one of those. Uh, that was a thing that came up on the football ramble where uh, somebody named a team that uh, somebody had played for as a junior. Like he was on the, yeah. the U19s or something, and that does not count. He has to be in the senior club. Thank you so much to JP for joining us this month. It was wonderful to uh, to have him back on here again and, and talk to him and make sure to check back after the new year for the next regular episode of Milwaukee Tailgate.